Welcome, everybody. Uh, we're going to be presenting on a new automation, and the WES was rolling to that, and having it be a must-have. Uh, my name is Art Eldred. I'm a client executive with Vargo Companies. Uh, my colleague, Jeff Lambert, was unable to make it through to a little bit of a voice problem this morning, so I'll be covering it for him in solo. Um, just to kind of give you some background of myself and the company I work with, with Vargo, uh, we're a systems integrator, so our job is to basically design and build uh, fulfillment operations from the ground up, and that involves everything from the software, the processes, the flows, people interaction, uh, the, uh, the technologies and the automation that goes with that. Uh, and that's kind of our full line general business. So kind of, we kind of frame up our background today where we're coming from, I thought it would be important to talk about a systems integrator. So one of the reasons we're here is labor, labor, labor. I've asked uh, several of my clients what their number one problem is in the last uh, three or four years and I keep getting the same answer. Uh, although the exclamation points at the end keep getting a little bigger. Labor, 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 I have three problems. Um, one of the things that we did when we kind of started this presentation and kind of gathering a little bit more information was just to kind of go back in time and say, you know, we've all heard about the labor problems, we're facing it every day in the, in the fulfillment operations, and we're trying to compete for labor. So we went back to the Census Bureau, we went back into uh, some of the payrolls and uh, some of the online databases out there, and one of the things we really looked at was just, the, again, the growth or recapping where we are with, with uh, market growth. And uh, it's, no, it's no surprise that retail stores are either remaining flat or maybe on the decline, um, but they're still continuing to grow at some small level and they're, they're not, you know, not going to disappear. Um, however, the e-commerce has continued to grow and it continues to grow at a very, very large scale. So as we transition from thousands of retail stores, um, that product is still being bought and grown. Um, as populations increases, we consume more product. So that is actually kind of moving over into the e-commerce e fulfillment centers. And the e-commerce fulfillment centers are being tasked every day with an increasing demand of work that, that continues to go and go and go. So I feel like I had a good year last year, but I'm at a double digit growth. I've got to do it again next year, but I've got to, I've got to hire more people. I've got to do more product. I've got to fulfill more orders. I've got to put more effort into my fulfillment center. So the other thing that we're starting to see is, you know, economies are good. We've had uh, just a booming economy for the last 10 years, and it's kind of represented by our unemployment rate. Our unemployment rate keeps coming down. So now I've got this challenge of unemployment's going down, my labor need in the fulfillment center keeps rising, how do I compete for labor? And it's really a competition. Um, it's not, you know, I don't think there's a lot of magic bullets or, or solutions out there today that say, I can vanish 100 people, the 100 people that I need. Um, I'm trying to get as much I can out of those 100 people, but I'm also competing for um, fulfillment operations and hourly wages with the Amazons of the world or the new e-commerce fulfillment center that just opened up across the street. And the irony of it is we're putting fulfillment centers right next to other fulfillment centers. So the need and competition is fierce. And we're putting fulfillment centers next to the hubs of parcel carriers so that we can reduce our transport and delivery time. So it's almost like we're in this, this kind of... Um, competition pool that is, is getting very, very fierce and hard to work with. And, you know, the best HR person out there doesn't always win, and the highest rate, hourly rate, doesn't always win. So we're trying to build cultures that attract employees, keep them, retain them, and move on. So when I kind of overlaid these both together and I look at 
um, unemployment, and I look at the hourly warehouse need and what we've been reporting into the Labor Bureau and the Census Bureaus, um, we've got a kind of a crisscross. If I go back to, what was it, 2015, uh, 14, we start seeing the, the decline and the incline come up. And ironically, if you go back and you start saying, when did labor really, really become a problem? It has been in the last three to four years. Um, so it, it's kind of ironic that we look at the unemployment rate and we look at the need of what our warehouse workers are doing too. Keep in mind though, while I'm looking at the warehouse worker, the hourly um, account that's being reported to them, um, we're also transitioning that. So um, while I'm growing warehouse workers, I'm actually declining the store needs. So backrooms are getting smaller. Uh, the need for folks working cash registers or putting product away is also decreasing. And that's kind of swapping over to the fulfillment operation. So the one thing I know is there's no silver bullet out there, as I mentioned, to get rid of labor. Um, there are many different solutions and many different answers that are out there today that are, when you add them all up, are helping us reduce labor. Is the, you know, the dark warehouse um, out there? It is. Is it five years, 10 years, 15 years away? Some might argue that I'm pretty close to a lights out warehouse and I've got a lot of robots and ASRS and I'm close and, and they are. However, the fulfillment operation, e-commerce in particular, is a tremendous amount of effort to get four pieces of products pulled from all over the warehouse and gathered at the same time in the same place to go out. So that effort is, is really high. That's why our labor counts are high. To get that product into a package is also extremely high in the labor. I've got to take it out of whatever the cubby was or the tote it was in. I've got to put it into a bag or a box. I have to make the box sometimes, and I've got to get the label out. I've got to put the dunnage in it, then I've got to seal it. All this takes time, all takes effort. And today, we don't have a robot that does all of that. There are definitely technologies out there. So when we look at kind of the conventional to the leading edge, and um, leading edge is not a bad thing. It's not a scary thing either if, you, if you've implemented it right. But conveyor plays more and more roles, and it continues to grow. There are different types of conveyors. There's different types of electronics we're putting on it. But at the end of the day, all we're doing is we're automating the transport of product from one area to another area, and conveyor plays a great role in that. Sorters, uh, in particular, have really kind of grown in many different categories. So I have um, cross belts, tilt trays, pop-up wheels, everything that's basically making a decision that was pre-planned or predetermined, or in some cases, even dynamic, where the scanner bring, brings the information off to a computer system. The computer system says, this is what I want you to do with it next. And sorters do a great job of allowing us to work masses of work so that we can go to one location, pick product for thousands of orders, and then take that and sort it down to its final detail. So it allows us to be efficient at picking and use a sortation system to kind of bring that down to a smaller entity being in order. Um, put to order is also kind of something that's kind of grown. Pick to lights have been around since the, uh, the 90s, uh, maybe even in the 80s if you go back really far, but uh, they really kind of hit the market in the 90s in helping us re um, fulfill retail orders. So we go to a location, the light blinks, we pick the product out, put it into a box, put it into a tote, package it up, and it goes out to a store um, or, or a wholesaler or somebody else that I'm servicing. Today, we're actually have adapted those more into what we would call put to order, where you're scanning an item and then you're matching it into a cubby. And you can tell um, on some of these pictures, you see the cubby actually being lit up so that you're not trusting just the light, but you're actually looking at what cubby it needs to go to. So I scan the item, put it into the cubby, I scan the item, put it into the same cubby, put the third one in and it completes the order, I pull it out or I push it through and I package out that order on the backside. So it's kind of a manual sortation process. 
goods to man or goods to person picking. Um, I put goods to man on here because you see a lot of technology still calling that, but I guess the politically correct term would be uh, goods to person. Um, this is the idea of reducing travel. So I've automated the storage, the, the um, storage and retrieval of product to a front end picking station. That picking station doesn't allow me to do any walking. I basically am scanning from one tote and I'm putting product into one or more multiple totes without ever taking more than one step. And when you think about picking productivity, it's really a factor of three things. It's a factor of walking, it's a, a factor of setup and discharge time. So did I get the right tote? Did I push the tote off? Did I put it in a box? Did I push the box off? And then there's bin face time. So there's not a whole lot you can do in a manual world of making someone faster at a bin. And there's not a whole lot that you can do to, to make them faster at getting a tote and pushing a tote off in a conveyor. However, in this world with goods to person picking, I'm able to actually um, automate all of that product that's coming to set up and discharge time. I'm automating the retrieval back and forth. And at the end of the day, I've done no walking. I've just stood in place. So a person who might be picking, let's say, 80 to 250 units an hour um, is no longer spending the time walking to the distance of the pick. And I'm now achieving rates of 300 up to 800 units an hour. And again, the smaller the item, the faster it is. The bigger the item, the, the slower the productivity would be. Uh, the next technology is the AMRs. Uh, AMR is uh, an acronym for Autonomous Mobile Robots. Um, these have been a, a terrific little invention that has come out and hit the marketplace and allows you to be very flexible and scalable. And again, it's kind of like the conveyor process in the beginning, right? So conveyors are really automating the product of going from position A to position B. Um, AMRs can do that almost immediately. You can roll one off. Um, off a truck, put it onto the floor, and you're up and going on these things in 24 hours or less, and you've got yourself a flexible conveyor system. And typically, AMRs are more subscription pay, so you're not even paying the capital. You're using them just like you would pay an hourly person. The difference is you're paying the hourly robot, and um, they call it kind of a RAS service or robot as a service. Um, we've also seen a lot of this being um, interleave into picking engines. So if I'm walking down into an aisle, I could be picking one batch of work, let's say a batch is 40 orders. But now the robots enabled me to have three, four, five batches. So again, you go back to the walk distance, and I'm now walking down an aisle and I'm picking 120 orders versus the four orders I was doing before. I've now decreased my, my distance between picks, made myself more productive, and you're seeing a lot of different companies have algorithms and AI that they apply to how they're using those robots to kind of swarm into the picking process. And then robotics in general have, have really taken over an awful lot of the different operations. Um, and earlier this morning, I was doing a video interview and we were talking about robots. And while robots are, are, are you know, again, you're seeing them everywhere, they really have a finite capability at this point um, that continues to grow and it will continue to expand over the next five to 10 years. But when you really think about it in simplicity, it's picking and placing products. It can do extremely well if, again, if I'm not doing any type of walking, or walking up to a, a location and trying to figure out how to get product out of a bin location. Um, picking from location A to co location B, they do a tremendous job of very repetitive tasks. And we're gonna continue to see these evolve so that at some point in time, the robot should be getting into the point of they're picking product out of boxes, they're putting it into totes, maybe even doing the transport back and forth themselves. And we're growing into a point where we're getting into a, a lights, or close to a lights out warehouse. So we'll take a look at these the technologies a little further. Um, pick to light, again, is the light locations on the left. Um, you see, again, the, the one in the center here, which has an illuminated cubby. 
Um, one of the reasons we illuminate the cubbies um, is for accuracy. So when you take a look at a Pictolite and it's on this shelf, am I putting onto the top or am I putting onto the bottom? Pretty difficult to kind of figure that out if you're into a really fast repetitive motion or you just pull somebody in who's a brand new hire and they're like, well, is that up or the bottom shelf? The LED inside the cubby that lights it up helps you kind of find the cubby faster, quicker, more accurate. And then to put the store process in the upper right-hand corner is something that's still out there. In fact, as our retail stores are getting smaller and smaller and we're getting more frequent shipments to it, we're not shipping cases of SKU 1 and cases of SKU 2. What we're doing is giving them a case of mixed SKUs, and that's a great environment where I bring uh, what we call a, a portman's good to person. I'm bringing the product to the person, they scan SKU A, and then they distribute it into one of you know, hundreds of cartons that are right in front of them, and I've now got a mixed SKU carton going out to, uh, to the retail stores or wholesalers. So here's again another flavor of the autonomous mobile robots. Um, you know, years ago you heard about the Kiva uh, systems that were sold to Amazon. Um, I think we're, we're going to project that the end of Kiva is actually coming near, and that was only about nine years ago. So I know uh, Amazon's very, very diligent in working on their lights out warehouse, and when is that coming in the marketplace? And I wouldn't be surprised that we see that in the next two years. So it's kind of funny. We saw this technology that is very flexible, scalable, uh, automates the travel Right, so I'm bringing all the product to a person by picking up a shelf and pulling it to the person. And now we're, we're starting to think that's no longer a requirement. We're moving on to the next technology. So um, it's, technology continues to explode and, and advance at a very, very rapid pace. But you're seeing a lot of these where um, I've got different variations where you've got ones that pick up shelving units. You have the ones with the tablets, which are in the center, which are kind of a swarming pick process. I was mentioning that kind of helped the picker get down an aisle and get as much product that they can be gathered at one time. I've got uh, robots in the, like in the upper left-hand corner, which are just automating the process of getting a carton from a storage area to a shipping dock. Um, and then I'm even doing things on the manufacturing line. So these have become very, very, very flexible. Another uh, item that's out there, it's a little bit more limited, but um, has great value in the e-commerce space for other returns or even anything that's a small type of product. But uh, the pouch shoulders, and there's, um, there's a good half a dozen of them in the marketplace today. Most of them are European that are coming to North America and represented by a North American company. However, the pouch shoulders are um, a way of taking everything, storing it into a pouch, and then I pull that pouch to a forward pick area when I need it. So again, it's automated the travel process. Um, great for returns because I don't really want to take uh, SKU A and go send it back to home A. Um, I want to put it into a pouch order and then say, when I need that skew again, I will automate the picking process of having the pouch come to me, put it into my outbound box, and send it out the door. Um, there's a great amount of effort when you're doing returns processing, and you've got 25 different SKUs, and they've got to go back into 25 different homes. Um, some folks will actually put them in mixed SKUs, mixed locations, and kind of keep low inventory counts that are in a returns uh, inventory location. The pouch order really helps you automate that process also does really well with uh, GOH or garment on hanger type product. Uh, automation storage and retrieval systems come in all different shapes, sizes, colors. Um, you've got folks that are made in Europe, you have folks that are made in North America. Um, sometimes you see uh, pick cells on the front of them that are coupled. What I mean by that is uh, I might have a, a tote that comes out, I perform an operation where I picked out one tote and I put it into another and it, I'm standing in front of an aisle, and the only thing that the machine can deliver to is the person who's standing in front of that aisle. 
when you decouple that, you get a little bit more flexibility. So the larger systems tend to have multiple aisles, totes come out, and then they can go to any single pick station on the front end, and it gives you a little bit more flexibility and scalability on it. Um, the, really, the biggest uh, explosion here has been the unit handling uh, devices and how you handle. Um, a lot of the SR systems will actually require you to decamp product, put it into a tote, so that they've got a, um, a form fit and function that is very consistent of handling a single tote. Uh, maybe they might have three different tote sizes. Uh, the bigger advancements get into cardboard boxes. Cardboard boxes all evolve in shapes and different sizes. They're different qualities. They present a lot of problems for trying to automate the storage and retrieval of those processes. The other thing that cardboard boxes have that <laughs> machines don't like is tape. So tape can gunk up the wheels, stick up the unit handlers, and then you're running into jams, and then you've got a sophisticated maintenance guy maintaining a sophisticated ASR system. They present some challenges too. Overall though, the rates are coming up. They're getting faster, they're getting more reliable, they're getting more flexible, and they're also doing a tremendous job of increasing the storage density in the warehouse. So when I'm paying seven or nine dollars a square foot, and I now require 25% of the square footage, these things have some, some great rewards for you. Uh, robotic arms, again, these are, um, there's many different shapes, colors, sizes, manufacturers. Um, there's ones that work with humans that you can walk right up to hit the arm and it, it will stop in its motion. There are other ones which require light curtains and safety curtains all around them, run, run at a much faster speed, but could do some damage and you kind of create a robotic work cell. Um, the AIs that go behind them of vision grasping um, is really what the, the explosion's all about. So um, if you look at any of the end of arm tools, you'll see some that have the grippers. You'll have to see some that have grippers with a suction cup on it. And then you'll see some that look a lot more like a hand or morph around the product. And that's where the, the real kind of um, proprietary information within the robotic companies are coming from. It's really in the end of arm tool effects. And then how do they do their vision picking and placing? So one of the challenges, we have all this automation, all these different types of explosions, and again, we haven't even gone into the full robotic, which really looks more like the androids walking down the streets. Um, but the challenge here is integrating them all together and how do they work together. The traditional methodology has always been put these systems underneath of your warehouse management system, which is functional, it does work. The difficulty is on the put walls, for example, you don't know what product has been picked, so you're not sure where the walls are going to. So you tend to do a bunch of picking of work you plan that work that you picked to a specific cubby, and then you put it into that cubby, and if something falls behind, or doesn't happen, or an exception occurs in the process, it's a very difficult thing to recover from. It's a pre-planned event because the put-to-light system is not talking to the picker. And again, when you start layering in all these different technologies, I've now made it more complex for the technologist, right? So now I have all these IT stacks. I've got some on Windows, I've got some on Linux, I've got some on Unix, I've got some on, on AS400s, and I've got all these different systems in my, my, my world that I'm working on, and I have to have a subject matter expert for every one of those, and then they've all got to kind of communicate back into some central point in data, and then they get out of sync. It creates a lot of opportunities. One of the things that we've seen is the warehouse execution system emerge, and uh, I'm not sure if everybody knows where it, where it really birthed out of, but it came out of the manufacturing environment. So um, it used to be called manufacturing engineering systems or execution systems. And it was really helping, its job was to synchronize, sequence work events to come to a production line so that I had all the right bumpers. If you think about cars being made, right? Cars are, um, every car that's coming off for the production line doesn't look like the one right behind it. 
might have a different color, might have leather seats, cloth seats, it might have heated steering wheels. Every All the components for one car um, are all different from the one that's coming right behind it. So manufacturing execution systems came about about sequencing work so that I had the right bumper at the right car at the right time, and I didn't have 17 on the line that I had to go sort through and say, oh shoot, I needed a red one, not a white one. And the, and the software really helped with that. But WES has done the same thing. So you think about the effort required to fulfill an e-commerce order, and I've got to go grab widget one, widget two, widget three, widget four, I got to come together and I got to pull it into this box and I got to ship it out the door. The secret to that is if I can do that all in the shortest period of time, I can keep product flowing out the door. If I miss one of those pieces of product, that order is going to sit in a cubby or occupy some type of resource at the end of the line for hours, if not minutes or days sometimes. And what we're, our goal here is to take software and synchronize all the events and the fulfillment operations so that to get together at the same time, I can turn it on a quick um, cycle and get it back out the door. So quick cycle times help the warehouse because it increases efficiency. I need less capital because I need less put walls, less conveyors, less people doing the work. But more importantly, it helps our customers because now I can drop an order to the floor and have it flow out in 20 minutes or 25 minutes if it was somebody who was a priority club or paid extra for shipping and absolutely wanted that product immediately. So that low cycle time really helps us get those last set of orders um, before the end of the, the shipping cutoff times. The other thing that the WSs have really exploded into is not just you know, executing the workflow, but they've also grown into a little bit more of the machine control. So now I've eliminated all those different technology stacks, right? I've got rid of AS400s, I've got rid of a, a Windows platform, I've got rid of Windows 10, I've got rid of, all these different systems are now under one umbrella, and then I've dumbed down the machines. So some of these high-speed sorters don't need a very complicated, sophisticated IT to start managing shoot requirements of, I need this order to go here, and I need that one to go here. They become machines. Scan a barcode, send the information up, WS tells it what to do. Pick the light, scan a barcode, this light blinks, and I don't have the order intelligence again in all these different subsystems. So it really simplifies the technology stack. It also simplifies uh, transition times or getting systems up to speed. Um, and we'll show you one of these technologies here in a few seconds that literally took 16 hours to roll off a back door and put into production. So there's really um, three or four different types of me uh, methodologies within WSs. I'm going to kind of walk through um, three of them for, for right now. There's the, uh, the monitoring the way process. So there's a WS that basically doesn't have any intelligence of, to the, of the machines or the people. But what it is doing is it's going through order releasing, it's looking at the wave status and saying how much of that wave got completed into the WMS. And then it goes on and says, okay, I'm at 65%, I'm at 50% complete, or sorry, down to 50% work left, 25%, I hit a threshold, I got 5% of the work left, it automatically releases the next picking process. And then more orders kind of flow back to the floor. Same thing happens on pre-sort and packing and shipping. So it's not looking at the machines or the capacities, it's looking at the status of orders to determine what stage of the life cycle inside the fulfillment center is that order at. There are more sophisticated WSs that come out and they use sensors and they start traffic copying things. So now I'm starting to look at a little bit of the order intelligence, so I've got the wave monitoring maybe happening, but now I'm starting to look at divert one. Is that at a 25% full, 55%, 75%? How full, how many cartons did I send down to there? And what are my sensors giving me feedback on? And I can start monitoring the line one and saying, okay, line one's full, let's go over and start using line two. 
I can do the same thing on the shipping environment. I can do the same thing on put-to-light systems and saying, I've got 40 cubbies. I only have 39 now that are, that are occupied. I can, I can afford one more order to come into this cubby. And it uses the sensors to monitor that type of work. And then lastly, there's a, a WS that I highly recommend because it, it's made my life very easy. Um, and that's more of a pool-based environment. So pool-based environments use demand signals to trigger work that's getting released. So you kind of think about uh, you know, a, a large orchestra, right? And I've got trumpets and bands and, and um, um, strings and horns and everything else. Somehow somebody's going to conduct all of this work and we're trying to figure out how to conduct that work. The WS here is acting like that conductor, but he's monitoring what's happening at the end of the line. So every time I complete an order in a cubby, that's the trigger or the demand signal that says, go back up to picking and release another one into the picking process. So you really keep a nice, very harmonized uh, workflow that, hap that, that occurs. The only difficulty with the demand-based is it's lean. So if anything hiccups uh, during the process, you've got to kind of be Johnny on the spot and make sure you're addressing those. And that keeps your orders flowing uh, on a pretty routine basis. So the other thing AWS does, as we mentioned, is the whole thing about the MES, it was its job and its role is to synchronize and sequence workflows. So when I went back and I was doing the WMS work, filling one trailer with a bunch of cartons is probably not the most difficult task, and we measured that work over hours. So it wasn't, it wasn't anything that was really required. And the faster I turn it, the more trailers I could get out the door, the best utilization I could get on maybe my shipping sortation systems. But the difficulty of getting all of that different product picked from, let's say, machines with ASRS and human and getting put onto a conveyor into a trailer, not the most difficult task. We just need to make sure we monitor the work and it got completed. The invention of the put wall in e-commerce comes about and we start populating all these individual orders into these cubbies. And now I'm starting to gather all these different products from all different areas of the warehouse and I'm trying to gather from machines and I'm trying to gather from human picking. But here's the thing. I'm filling these orders and I'm measuring these in minutes. So it wasn't an hour. I'm trying to get product out of an ASR system and I'm trying to get product out of human picking at the same time to come to a cubby. And if they could all get there within one minute would be the ideal world because then I could take that cubby, turn it, open up that resource, introduce more work to the flow and get packaging and product shipped out the door. If that product sat in the cubby for eight hours, I've got a little bit of a problem. I'm going to need a lot more pull walls. I'm going to need a lot more geography, and I'm going to have a lot more exception processing than I'm having to manage because I have orders in different statuses. And then comes in robotic picking. So robotics are great. They've been automating my, my put walls. Um, they make my job a lot easier. I don't have the labor requirements that I used to have. They're not 100% out, but let's say I put three robotic put walls into uh, to an operation, and I have one person maintaining those three, I've now reduced the complexity of labor, or sorry, eliminated some of the labor, but now I've also done a subset of my products because not everything can go to a put wall or, or a, a robot. So let's just say they're a limited fact. And if you kind of look at this little diagram, the reason I used blue and green was the reds were maybe or had a glass or some type of fragile product that the robot couldn't pick up. So now think about, okay, I'm managing trailers, I'm managing manual put walls, and I'm managing ASRS and, and, uh, and, and workflows off to robotic arms. The difficulty to do this, if you were doing that traditional approach, doesn't, it just doesn't occur. You're going to have a lot of inefficiencies that occur. So the WS is kind of filling this role in managing all that. So here's a little bit of a case study where we did uh, an operation with uh, one of the gap fulfillment centers. And 
And this facility used to be a very large cross-dock facility shipping bulk of products in, out to, uh, to retail stores. And uh, with the online uh, marketplace where they've shifted from, uh, and I would, I would hope it's here soon, but they're going to shift 100%, or sorry, majority of their work going out as a, as a retail order to the majority going out as e-commerce, the need for e-commerce fulfillment centers has really been taxed and grown. So this is a, a fulfillment center where if we look at the different operations out here, I've got uh, two different pick modules. The one and two are, are large uh, three, four-story pick modules. Uh, number three is a, a automatic storage and retrieval system. So product literally can come in off the trailer, never be touched by a human, ride the conveyor system, get received to the WMSs uh, and the WS, put away into a storage location, and then when I need it, I move it over to an active pick area. By the way, this model works tremendously when you start thinking about walk distances. If I had every single carton in my forward pick area, what happens when I've got 10 cartons in active storage and I'm only needing one item out of the one carton? I've got to walk by the other nine, so I've added a lot of distance to travel. The ASRS system basically takes nine of those cartons, puts it in an offline area that I'm not walking by, keeps my front area nice and condensed in area number two. And then I've added some unit sortation and some routing and some other conveyor logic that I've either repurposed or, or sorted down to the put walls. So, let's see if I get this to play. Here's the automatic uh, re receiving process. So literally, you've got someone, a manual person right now in the trailer. He's unloading the product, putting it onto um, to conveyors, and those scanners that you just saw did kind of a pre-tell. So they've actually received it as an ASN, taken it in as, as an increment. And then here's the, uh, that same carton going through dimensioners and a receiving process and getting putting away uh, in this automatic and storage retrieval system. You can tell, I think there were uh, nine cranes at this particular area. But again, no human intervention, no, no maintenance personnel um, that are actively working this on, on, on the video being shot here. Uh, and the cart gets put away, another cart gets pulled out, and I've got an automated, automated storage and retrieval system. This particular um, uh, system was made by uh, TGW Systems. And then those cartons are coming in. Um, after they've left that storage retrieval system, again, we're gonna go through another identification where I'm now gonna start putting those cartons into the active areas. So that carton goes into, um, in this case, a diverting spiral. So these, I'm sorry, a, a diverting conveyor system that routes into different levels. And the cartons are going down to each floor, each segment, each area. So. We know where those locations are going through, working with WMSs and WSs together, and then the WS is responsible for routing, getting it all the way into the area, and sometimes, on occasions, actually taking the cart and putting it away into a home location. And then here's a, um, a repurposed conveyor system. It used to be a big uh, retail sorter, and uh, you can tell the length of this thing is almost 300 feet. But uh, we're taking those cartons and routing those either to singles processing, um, put away, or and in this case, we have totes coming into inductors that are being used for unit sortation. So um, again, I was doing the large batch pick of two or 3,000 orders. I picked them into totes, and then I'm using this sorter to scan, identify products, sort it down to a wall. And uh, here you have a put wall in, in actually operation where I've scanned the product. And you can tell the LED comes on with the put to light. They use the put to light for um, a user interface, acknowledging that that item's in place there and I've got myself an e-commerce order almost ready for packing. It's all a pretty, pretty quick sort process, and again, the fewer cubbies, the less walking. You tell she's only doing about two steps at most here.
And then here's a, a Kindred um, automated put wall. So the arm is actually identifying, grasping the product. Here you're looking at the vision system. And then it's going over, it, it's done the grasp. Um, and you'll see a little scanner down there where actually it's bringing it to a scanner to identify the item. So the grasping devices that we mentioned, uh, that end of arm tooling effect has, has been very, very, um, uh, it's been a challenge, right? And uh, not one grasp fits everything that you need to do. And then you have the AI work that's really doing a ton of that manipulation of how to pick, place, grasp, um, and manipulate that product to put it into a cubby. And at the end of the day, I've taken that person out of the element and I've put in a, uh, a person on the backside just doing the packing process. And then here's one other item when you get into the fast fashion apparel business that uh, has been very productive, but these are auto baggers. So product comes in, gets identified, and then it goes through an actual auto bagging process that gets a bag made around it so it's fit the size. And then um, it's sealed and then a label is printed and applicated on the backside. Um, many variations of these auto baggers. This happens to be an AccuTech auto bagger. And uh, one of the things I like about AccuTech is we can actually put invoices in and also marketing material. Every marketing material doesn't need to be the same. I could have literally a coil of different ones that I'm selecting which one for which product and which order. Um, tremendous labor advantage right here because I'm, I'm eliminating almost 20 people by putting this auto bagging machine in. The rates on those, I think uh, sustained, you're seeing about 800 packages per hour, but you can see burst up to 1400 as well. Um, so thank you very much. If there's any questions, I'll be around for a little while. If you have our contact information, feel free to email or call us at any time. I appreciate your, uh, your time this morning and uh, look forward to, uh, to fulfilling a great Modex show. By the way, it's, uh, there's a lot of technology out there. Um, take time, stop, talk to them, understand a little bit about some of the, their advantages and disadvantages. Don't be afraid to ask about disadvantages. Everybody loves to tell you what, what they're so good at, but don't be afraid to say, hey, you know, what are the challenges that you have as well too. Thank you, everybody.